Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It For was the day. best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, at the end of our last podcast, I did mention that I would be giving you some final thoughts on 1984 for today's program. Now, when I looked over the book, I saw the appendix titled The Principles of Newspeak. Now, while looking at this section, it finally dawned on me that Orwell actually wrote this appendix as part of 1984, so it really is a part of the book. I glanced at this appendix during previous readings, and since I knew the end of Winston Smith's story, I always thought someone else wrote this, so why bother? Well, this morning I changed my mind on this. So for today's program, I want to discuss some of the highlights from this appendix, The Principles of Newspeak. Now, to help me do this, in the studio with me today is my partner in life and literature, my wife, Deborah. So welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. It's good to be here. So this morning, getting ready for the program, I did look up a few articles on the Internet about what's happening with Black Lives Matter and their protest. And uh, I had heard that they were putting demands on they wanted to eliminate certain words from our vocabulary. And so when I, when I, looked, these artic- I looked at some of these articles on the Internet, I realized that this, uh, that this appendix of Orwell's is really probably more current today than what would have been even 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, this whole idea of, of uh, you know, fixing the, le- uh, the, the language to, well, support an ideology. Now, I even glanced at one article this morning that did say there is this furor right now over the expression, all lives matter versus black lives matter. And so protesters are demanding that the two cannot be used interchangeably and really, it's pretty obvious, one has to be very careful saying all lives matter, especially to a protester. I mean, uh, you could get punched in the face if you, if you say all lives matter. So, so uh, let's just get into this. And uh, uh, I guess that the first point, Deborah, that I'd like to start talking about is that um, he, he says on page 267, now that's my book, I don't know, uh, we're going to have to start getting the same copies of the books. But, uh, but here's what he says about Newspeak. He says, Newspeak was the official language of Oceana and had been devised to meet the ideological needs of Ingsoc or English socialism. And so, so I, I, I think what's really uh, interesting about this is, is essentially what what Orwell is saying there is there is this totalitarian government and they want to start controlling the thoughts of the people so they develop new language and and I just want to read you a quote from the from uh, this is towards the it is book three and it's when um, we've already talked about some of this but uh, it's when he's being tortured when Winston is being tortured by O'Brien and, and I do think this is interesting here is, is and we'll, uh, we'll probably talk some more about Winston as we go through all this. 
But but here, this is the page top uh, top of page two forty one for me. I don't know what your book is, but anyway, there's there's this conversation, and uh, O'Brien says to Winston, "Do you believe in God, Winston?" No. Then what is it? This principle that will defeat us? I don't know. The spirit of man. And so, so O'Brien knows that Winston hates the party. Brian O'Brien knows that Winston wants to destroy the party. And so he's trying to figure him out. Well, do you believe in God? And he says, no. Then what is that principle that will defeat us? He says, I don't know. The spirit in man. And he says, do you consider yourself a man? And he says, yes. He said, if you are a man, Winston, you are the last man. Your kind is extinct. We are the inheritors. Do you understand that you are alone? You are outside of history. You are non-existent. It says, his manner changed, and he said more harshly, and you consider yourself morally superior to us with our lies and our cruelty? Yes, I consider myself superior. Now, it's, Orwell says in the book, O'Brien just doesn't say a word there. But, but if, if you think about that, I mean, to me, that is a scene that we can see on our nightly news. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter people are out there challenging anybody. You think you can defeat us, even with all of our lies and our cruelty? And of course, that they're, they're uh, you know what's happening in the north, in the northwest with Portland. There's been what over a hundred some days of protests, and they they're just destroying that city. So, but I th- I think at the very beginning of 1984, we see a somewhat different man. And uh, if you think about the, the very beginning of the book, we have you know Winston. And, uh, you know, he's trying to get home. Uh, he wants to do something. He's, he wants to uh, hide from the telescreen. And uh, to me, it's like at the beginning, he seems like he's really weak. He's kind of sickly. He's washed out. And, uh, of course, it, the first thing he talks about is the thought police, that, that he's, you know, trying to hide from the, the thought police. So I'm going to go back to the beginning. So here we're at the end of the book, and I want to go back. And I just want to read what he's doing. On uh, this will be about page six, so you probably can find this. But but essentially, what what Winston does is he he's bought this book, and he wants to start a diary. And this is at the top of page six. It says, the thing that he was about to do was to open a diary. This was not illegal, and in, in parentheses it says nothing was illegal since there was no longer any laws. But if detected, it was reasonably certain that it would be punished by death or at least by 25 years in a forced labor camp. Winston fitted a nib into the pen holder and sucked it it, to get the the grease off. The pen was an archaic instrument, seldom used for signatures, and he had procured one furtively and with some difficulty simply because of a feeling that the beautiful creamy paper deserved to be written on with a real nib instead of being scratched with with an ink pencil. Actually, he was not used to writing by hand. Apart from very short notes, it was usual to dictate everything into the speak-write, which is, of course, impossible for his present purpose. He dipped the pen into the ink and was faulted for just a second. A tremor had gone through his bowels. To mark the paper was the decisive act. In, in small, clumsy letters, he wrote, April 4, 1984. Now, I think if if you really analyze what that paragraph means is very few people wrote anything down. 
and they they used what they called the speak right. And of course, uh, you know, when we get into this uh, this whole appendix on Newspeak, we learned what speak right really means. You know, it's it's like they they just speak everything into a mic. They don't they don't write things down. And uh, you know, he he really wants to to write things down. He wants to start a a, a diary, and of course, he could be executed from doing it. And the the thing is, are we at this point in our society? where people cannot really write things down. How many people write things down? So I'll, I'll just get your thought on that before I read, I read a, another from another essay. Go ahead. Well, it's, it's true. We don't actually write that much. We may type or we do a lot of texting or you know, we write on computers or iPads or iPhones. Um, so it's true. We don't, we don't really write a lot of things down. We don't. Sometimes we don't even write our thoughts down. We probably don't think that much. Can you remember the time when our daughter sent us a message just all in emojis? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that that's not language. No, it's not language. That's right. It's, you have to really know what they are. You really I, have to I, know what. They I don't know what emojis are. <laughs> no, so, I yes, don't no, either. Yes. Sometimes, although I do. So I figured one out, and I did it in front of the students the other day in class. I gave them my version of an emoji, mm-hmm. and they thought that was pretty funny. But but the, the thing is, I, I do believe that our society is getting away from, from language. Yes. It's, it's getting away from proper use of even words. And I did find this. Harold Bloom wrote this um Oh, it was a book of notes on 1984, and he quotes a lot of different um, essayists. And this one is, uh, this this essay I want to read you from is from Lillian Fetter. And uh, her her essay is titled Language and Selfhood in 1984. And she's talking about Winston Smith, and actually she's talking about the diary and and how he wants to start this diary. And that... that, uh, um, she begins to say that, that what Orwell is really doing in this book is, you see, he's talking about the destruction of the self. And, and the, the, the way they go about doing it in this totalitarian society is to destroy thought and is to destroy the ability to think. So, so she, she writes about this scene I just read to you. It says, relying on the only resources he has, dreams, memories of beauty, love and sorrow, and fragments of history, Winston Smith tries to apprehend the intrinsic connection between selfhood, language, and objective reality. And here's what I thought was interesting about this essay, this quote. It says, it is an issue we are still confronting. In fact, Smith's struggle for selfhood is a prophetic, excuse me, a prophetic elimination of two important cultural problems of the present that we are deeply, that are deeply related. First, there's the steady extinction of precision and eloquence of language and the consequent poverty of expression in speech and in imaginative writing. So she's saying that this is a problem in our society. And, you know, I mean, he wrote this back in 1948. And so, so, so I think he saw it coming. Now, at the very bottom of the page, I think it's really interesting, this page six, he goes on to talk, uh, uh, he begins to, you know, um, continue to talk about Winston starting this this diary. He says, for whom it suddenly occurred to him to wonder, was he writing this diary? 
For the future, for the unborn, his mind hovered for a moment around the doubtful date of the page and then fetched up with a bump against the new speak word, doublethink. So uh, again, we'll, we'll uh, be talking more about this as we go through this program. It says, for the first time, the magnitude of what he had undertaken came home to him. How could you communicate with the future? It, it, it of its nature was impossible. Either the future would resemble the present, in which case it would not listen to them, or it would be different from it, and his predicament would be meaningless. For some time he gazed stupidly at the paper. The telescreen changed over to strident military music. It was curious that he seemed not merely to have lost the power of expressing himself, but even to have forgotten what it was that he had originally intended to say. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so he couldn't even think straight. And then it also says in this paragraph, he for- almost forgot how to write. How to be how to use handwriting, because everything was done on uh, Newspeak, or everything was done with with uh, I guess Speakwrite, you know. So so anyway, uh, I I just thought it's really really interesting, and of course we've talked about you know texting. I mean, people use short words. I, I know sometimes the students will write me es- write an essay for me, and then they'll they'll use a text word, and I scratch it out immediately. All right. Any other comments there, dear? Well, it's true. It's true. We have we are losing uh, language because we uh, because of texting and we shorten everything. And then we always have I forget what's how what it's called, but you <clears throat> we shorten long long phrases into like uh, the the first letters of something. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot what that's called, but we do that too as well. We we try to shorten everything. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So and then of course uh, you know Mr. Stephen Flurry's been talking about the book The Shallows, and we don't want to read long articles anymore either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and people hate reading books. No, not me. I love books. Of course, my wife knows I love books. There's books everywhere in my house. So all right. So um, let's go on and and uh, any other comments on that part? All right. Let me, I, I want to just go back to this <clears throat> and uh, read. Um, read some more of what uh, the whole purpose of Newspeak was. And um, I, I think it's really really kind of fascinating. It says, the purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of Inksoc, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. Yes, that's what I think is amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so... Go on. Well, just just that that the idea. <laughs> I know you have more to say. Well, just, it was just the idea of that uh, that we need words to express thoughts, and if you get rid of those words, you don't you can't express those thoughts, so you don't have those thoughts. It's it's. I just had never thought that way before. I, here I am thinking. I, I had never thought that way thinking. before. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, um, you, you know, you know what kind of strikes me about about mm-hmm. that. Um, it's um it, what what's really amazing about this is you know thinking is one thing but the but thoughts are another thing it's not the same thing really um you know if you um, i could be sitting here and i could think well i better get to the next point but that's over but but if i have thoughts about my own childhood and uh, the first time I learned to write or learned to read, those things are forever. 
And so, so essentially, what this totalitarian government, when they were started to develop Newspeak, they were trying to destroy people's thoughts, and even historical thoughts. Yes, right. And so, so uh, uh, you, you kind of wonder, why would he even write an appendix like this? I mean, the book, the book was fascinating enough. The story was over. But then he, he writes this whole appendix on how to build a new language. I know. I thought that was amazing, too. My first reaction was to not read it myself. And then I started <laughs> reading it, and I thought, why did he do this? He spent so much time, first of all, when, when the, the book and thinking about the whole society, and he actually, he actually put this together uh, to, to talk about what the way of speaking in that society was it was called newspeak i thought that was why did he do that but it's 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 interesting because i do believe he 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 was really concerned about language and and personal um individual individualism right freedom he, freedom it, it, it was up to the i mean it, it really does it, it, to, to be an individual you have to have thought you know you have to be able to to f- first of all think to do things but you also have to be able to express thought but you have to be able to understand thought and it's it seems like what he's saying here that that in this totalitarian government what they were trying to do was the only thoughts you could have were what was in in sock that's what they wanted they didn't want anyone to think outside that and so, so they were going to control it by the language. Now, it, it is interesting, when I was going through uh, looking at some of these articles this morning, that there, there, there's even beginning to affect, let's say, programming, you know, programming language. And, um, you know, it's, it's like it, if you have a piece of equipment and it's, you might name it slave, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a slave device or people don't want that anymore you can't call it a slave device now you know um you you in fact in one programming they have to change the word from slave to depends like people that depend on you Hmm. you know it's it's so they're really required they're really going after all of this they're trying to wipe that out you know of society because they think that could get rid of in what inherent racism you know it's like all 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 of us that are what how many generations away from ancestors that may have had slaves we still have you know the the intrinsic racism in our in our bodies so you have to get rid of the word slave so that we can change and so so but that's that's really uh it's really happening you know in in this world it's just amazing so yeah so well it's interesting that um so some some words or thoughts that we have are were totally impossible to think about then it, with the way he wrote it such as the word free right. it's, it's interesting the way the way he talks about how okay so this was um so they invented new words but also they eliminated undesirable words and um they they took away any of the unorthodox meaning and any unorthodox meaning would be anything that was not just according to the party so so what they did was an example this is his example 
is the word free still existed in Newspeak. I'm, I'm reading this, but it could only be used in such statements as this dog is free from lice <laughs> or, or this field is free from weeds. It could not be used in its old sense of, of politically free or intellectually free since political and intellectual freedom no longer existed, even as concepts and, and were therefore of necessity nameless. So, so you can't. So even the word "free," that's you know, it's it's uh, impossible because it's it's doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. So mm-hmm. then, then you would never have a desire to be free. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so, but but there is. I mean, when when after reading the whole book, and then putting this together, putting this, I really think the appendix is kind of the icing on the cake. When you when you read it, I mean, I, I had to read it twice. I would feel like I need to read it a third time because it's still pretty confusing in some parts. <laughs> but 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 the point is, if if you think about it, that you know in this country, the word freedom means a lot, or it used to mean a lot. You know that we're free, and and uh, you know how many of the songs, uh, you know, like with the national anthem about our freedom, you know, the land of freedom, you know. Um, and so, so, but the thing is, if you if you live under a totalitarian government, they don't want that, because you have to all think the same thing. You have to all be part of the party. You have to all. It's like one mind. You can't have an individual mind. You can't have individual thinking. And and really, as the book goes on, I think you can see that Winston Smith really was an individual in his thinking. And and uh, he went along with the party because it was convenient, but. He really thought differently than the party, and we can talk about that in a, you know a little bit more. But but I I do think that's that's amazing. When I when I first started to think about it, it said uh, it goes on down here at the bottom of the page it says it was intended that when new speak had been adopted once and for all, and old speak forgotten, a heretical thought that is a thought diverging from the principles of Ingsoc should be literally unthinkable, at least so far as thought is dependent on words. Its vocabulary was so constructed to give exact and often very subtle expressions to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. This was done partly by the invention of new words but chiefly by the elimination of undesirable words and by stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meanings and so far as possible of all secondary meanings, whatever. And so we, we already talked about, you know, the word free. Because he goes on to say, Newspeak was designed not to extend but to diminish the range of thought. And this purpose was indirectly assigned by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. And so, so if, if you think about even little, little children, I mean, they have to learn words so that they can think. think. They have to learn words so they know what you're thinking. And, you know, if, if you think of a lifetime it takes to build a good vocabulary so that you can understand different meanings, and then here's a totalitarian government wants to take those words away from you so you can't think that way. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> amazing so, thought. So, so it is amazing, but how far is all of this going to go, you know, in this country? And, uh, um, you know, this, uh, I just read to you from that book by Bloom, 
but but the the, the thing is is uh, he he discusses in there that that um, you know it, it's not like Orwell. There's a little there's a letter by Orwell in this book, and he's saying is he he wasn't necessarily attacking English socialism. He wasn't necessarily attacking you know the Labour Party at that time because there were a lot of socialists in the party, and this is back in the you know right after World War II. But what he was saying is that he wanted to give warning that any society can become totalitarian. And and here America is, has so often promoted individual freedom. And now, what have we experienced with the COVID-19? I mean, we've experienced that your individual freedoms can be taken away pretty quickly. And I know that uh, I was talking to my sister and she at one time she said she she wasn't afraid of necessarily getting COVID-19. What she was afraid of was that she was losing her personal freedom. If she wanted to go down to Pilates, she could just go. And, uh, you know, we can see how, how uh, you know, many things are just getting locked down. And even, even, uh, even though, you know, the, the cases might be going up because they're, they're, they're testing more, the deaths are definitely going down. But it seems like some of the governors are tightening again. And, of course, we know that's happening in England. Right now they're tightening everything down again. And, of course, the governors that loosen things are being criticized by the governors that are tightening down. And, of course, last night, I mean, even for those uh, people that are, you know, belong to churches, they, uh, you know, the, the governor of California is, he's saying it is absolutely illegal to get together and have an open church service. They're not allowing it. And uh, the, the thing is, he, he actually wrote a letter to the pastor that he could, he could be thrown in prison for doing this. And, of course, the pastor said, well, fine. You know, when Paul went into a neighborhood, he checked out how good the prison was because he knew he was going to end up in prison anyway. <laughs> you know, so he said, I'll go to prison. What does that matter? <laughs> but, but if you really think about it, that that's really is it's happening in some areas of this country. And so, um, you know, I, I do think people are, are uh, getting, getting tired of it. Well, um, we're going to run out of time here. So let's talk a little bit about the, vo- the vocabularies. Uh, that's why I really need you here. Because you're the, well, you're the grammar well, well, queen just, of my life. It's just life. funny the way he, way he divided <laughs> up. It, it just shows how much he, he loves language because he, and he knows language. He divided them up into three different kinds of words. And, you know, there's a vocabulary, and they're basically, this consisted of words needed for the business of everyday life, for such things as eating, drinking, working. And so they were all, basically the simple words like hit, run, dog. Um, but the, the thing that was kind of funny about it is that they could be either, they could be either a verb or, or a noun. So you could have um, think, Think could be a verb, but could also end up being a noun. It's, it's so it's kind of funny the way he did that, but and um, he explains all that. But it's just the idea that they were simple, basic words that use use every day. They were not they were not thoughts or thinking, uh, you know, that we think about. It's they were just the basic um, like um, sugar, physical physical yeah. words. I would say sugar, house, mm-hmm. dog, run, <laughs> it. There's a lot of hitting going on right now. Mm-hmm. So, field. Um, uh, he said, uh, I, I think it's what, what's interesting, he says there, um, 
they were extremely small. You know, the, the, the words were small. They weren't yes. really, they mm-hmm. didn't really take a lot to, to produce them. It almost, it's so, when you, met, you mentioned children learning to speak, that re, is what it reminded me of, is, is basically speaking in, in simple words, basically. Right. Yes. And so, so you know their, their, their thinking increases pretty carefully. I know our, our, uh, one of our youngest grandsons, who's three, who actually can reason like a 15-year-old already. <laughs> he's, he's got a way of reasoning around whatever command you give him. Oh, granddad, now come on. <laughs> I said, you're only three. You're going to listen to me. All right. Notice uh, he also says there with these vocabulary A, all all ambiguities and shades of meaning have been purged out of them. So far as it could be achieved, a new speak word of this class was simply a staccato sound expressing one clearly understood concept. It It would have been quite impossible to use A vocabulary for literary purposes I'll have to read this to the students, uh, or for political or philosophical discussion. So, so you can't use like one-syllable words to have a deep philosophical discussion. All right, let's talk about B words. Well, the, the B words are basically um, constructed for political purposes, and um, they so they were they are and they are compound words. So they're, it's just kind of unusual. For example, good think. And um, so good think is basically when you're, you are thinking the way the party thinks. Right, yeah, it's you, good you, think. Yeah, right. that's good think. Um, and um, so uh, that's basically, basically it. They're all, they are all compound words, and they really are all, all to, um, they're for political purposes. So they, they are, they have a political implica- implication in support of Ingsoc. Right. And so I think it's interesting, too, on the fact that they talk about the word cold. You didn't need the word warm. Yes. <laughs> I don't understand call, that at you all. You just call it uncold. <laughs> yes. I don't understand that at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yes. Let's quickly talk about the B words. And, uh, you know, the, the, the B vocabulary, uh, it's, it says they're, they're constructed for political purposes. And it says they were the words, that is to say, which not only had in every case a political implication, but were intended to impose a desirable mental attitude upon the person using them. That's what's going on today. I mean, when you talk about, you can't say all lives matter. It's just going to be black lives matter. Because white, white lives don't matter because they're intrinsic, what, intrinsically racist. Right. Know? So, all right. Then, then it goes on to the C words. I think we ought to let people... Uh, the C words it gets a little complicated there. Well, yeah, the C words it's just a very small little group of words that are are just basically technical words and so for science. For yeah. science, so although the funny thing is, is there, there isn't actually a word for science. There is no science. No, but anymore. anyway, no. <laughs> but these are just a few little words. So, and anyway, we don't need to talk about that. No. All right. Well, I do think everyone out there listening, yeah, you, you really don't want to miss the appendix. And so, I'm just going to tell you, you haven't finished 1984 unless you read the appendix. Now. Whether you understand it all or not, well, that's, that could be another thing. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. So next time, I really will give you some final thoughts on Orwell's 1984. Now, you can buy 1984 at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You can also find a copy in your local bookstore, um, hopefully. Uh, of course, you can also check your local library and also if they're open. I think we have to say that. 
So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. And I do have a new assistant in, and we're going to be working on that Facebook page. So uh, uh, just hang in there on it. We're going to be able to use that here pretty quick. So simply search for Just the Best Literature on Facebook. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.